Welcome to the Drinks and Data Podcast, where we are serving up expertly crafted conversation that entertains and informs. So hello, everybody. This is Sean Helwig, serving as one of the hosts of the Drinks and Data Podcast. We're so glad that you're taking time to listen to this episode. For our longtime listeners, you are probably expecting me to introduce my co-host of Canon Cozad. Canon is still on sabbatical, so we are going to have a special guest co-host that will be uh, serving with us this evening, and I will bring that person's name up in just a minute. But to get started, I want to let you know what is on tap for this episode of the podcast. So tonight, we are going to be talking about, for our drink segment, situational vodka drinks. Just what you had expected, I'm sure. There won't be a primer or a 101 on what is vodka. We're going straight to the best vodka drink for the situation you find yourself in. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. And then in our data segment today, we are going to talk about handy tools for the data professional. So we've handpicked, pun very much intended, a handful of tools that could be useful to those of you in the data space that maybe you haven't heard of or you just want some low-cost tools that can help you out. We'll be talking through those data tools here in our data segments tonight. So with that, let me take a few minutes and just let you know that uh, you know, this this guest co-host we're bringing in, I've had a chance to work with her for over two and a half years. We've actually done real work together. Um, we've had a chance to build a data strategy together, and um, and she's just been she's been fabulous to work with. I'm so glad that that she agreed to be on this episode of the podcast. So with that, I'm just going to introduce Karen Gill. Thanks for being on, Karen. So glad to have you here. Hey, Sean, thank you very much for inviting me to participate today in Drinks and Data. I'm super excited to be here. I've uh, enjoyed our time working together over the past two and a half years. And my data story is just a little bit longer than that. After starting my career in accounting, let's move past that quickly. I moved into the data scene in roughly 2017 and never looked back. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so you've had a chance to lead data teams. You've had a chance to select technology, do implementation. So you've got, you know, what I love about having you on board today is you've you've been in the trenches doing this, leading teams, implementing uh, technologies, and we'll get a chance to kind of pull some of your wisdom and insight um, out as we talk through some of the, the topics tonight. And uh, hopefully that will help our listenership be better equipped to do their jobs. So I'm so glad that you're on board. Thanks, Karen, for agreeing to do this. Absolutely. So we start each episode by sharing our beverage of choice for this evening or for this episode. So Karen, it's ladies first. I'm going to ask you, what have you chosen for your beverage of choice for this episode of the Drinks and Data podcast? Well, tonight I am excited to report that I'm, I'm rocking a high noon vodka and soda, watermelon based. It so happened to be hidden behind two grapefruits that were really not looking very appealing. So uh, high noon it is. So we are a podcast for the common person. I'll say the common man, common woman. <laughs> so sometimes you just pull out of the fridge what you have, right? Yes. All right. So along that theme on my desk for this episode, I didn't get it. I didn't even make it to the fridge. Okay. I made it to the counter next to the fridge 
And yesterday I had opened a bottle of wine. And, and I think this is the first episode where I have a wine as my beverage of choice. Not a, I'll say I'm not a huge wine drinker, but I like, I enjoy a bottle of wine. I'd open a bottle of wine for my wife. So I'm drinking my wife's wine. And if there is such a thing as a man card, I'm turning it in right now. Um, this is a sweet red wine. It's called Cowgirl Sisterhood Sweet Red Wine. Yes. Go ahead. Cue the that's, laughter. Um, it is. That's um, yeah, it's not a cab. I can tell you that <laughs> it's it's not a Merlot. It can't see Merlot from where it's at. OK, um, but it's just one of these these sweet wines. You know, my my wife found it when we were in Colorado um, several years ago. In fact, we were we were I was opening an office out there and we visited our local liquor store out there and they had this sitting on the shelf. And um, I don't think my wife would be upset if I if I told you that she kind of has this like uh, this. Like if she could go back and do it all over again, I think she'd be a cowgirl. She grew up, you know, learning to ride horses. I think she'd love it. So she saw this wine, cowgirl. Oh, I got to try it. And it's a sweet red. And that's, you know, she tends to navigate towards the sweet reds. So we found it there. She loves it. And for years, we could never get it here. And we found a place online. And I don't even know. And I'm, I'm sure someone's going to you know, track us down. Because we were able to order a case of it online. And so we have a bunch of it here at the house and I opened one up and sure enough, that made it to the glass tonight. So it's a super easy to drink, kind of a backyard slammer, which doesn't fit Wisconsin right now because we're blanketed in snow. And uh, but we'll just say it, 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 it it's wet. <laughs> it's sweet. <laughs> it should come with a tube of toothpaste and it keeps me warm. So that's that is the drink of choice for today. This episode's drink segment is brought to you by Underdog Wine. At Underdog Wine, they root for the underdogs in the wine world. You know, those small production, family-owned guys and girls just making honest wines. Underdog Wine is the best wine store in Kansas City, and they do sell online at underdogwinekc.com. Why are they the best? Because they actually taste thousands of bottles of wine every year, and if they don't like it, they don't sell it. I'm a big fan of their six bottles for 60 bucks deal that they keep on their website every month. They've always got a selection of wines. You pick six of them, they throw them in a box for 60 bucks and send them to you. If they believe in value, whether you want to spend $10 for a bottle of wine or 200, they are going to make sure you get the best bottle of wine for your money. They change their stock regularly. So either stop in the store if you're in Kansas City or check them out online at underdogwinekc.com. Again, that is underdogwinekc.com. Okay, Karen, we're talking vodka. You and I chatted before uh, we we uh, when I was inviting you to be our guest co-host for this evening. And, you know, you said you're not big into wine. You're not that big into beer. So I'm like, well, what are you? Well, what, what do you like? And you came up with? Vodka. All right. I've always enjoyed vodka. <laughs> Well, once I was legally allowed to, let's of be course, clear. Of course, of course. And and again, when we always do this segment, we always emphasize to our listeners that we do encourage you to be responsible with your drinks. That's just, you know, goes without saying, but we still say it. 
so with with vodka, it is like I think of vodka as like the Swiss Army knife of spirits. You can kind of do anything with it, right? So I thought when we were chatting, why don't we let's talk about situational vodka drinks. So if you were here, what kind of vodka drink would you have? Or if you were there, what kind of vodka drink? So here's going to be the pop quiz time for our drink segment. So I'm going to throw out some situations, Karen, and I'm going to ask for your off the cuff. What what is the vodka drink that you would have in each of these situations? You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Situation number one, you are at the beach. It's a warm day, sun, sand. You're going to the tiki bar to get yourself a vodka drink. What is it? It's vodka lemonade with a whole bunch of ice cubes. And pink lemonade, regular lemonade, doesn't matter. Uh, Looking at sometimes a flavored vodka even would be fine in that situation. Are you are you fans? Are you a fan of the flavored vodkas? I mean, they've got like every flavor, it seems, under the sun now from, you know, I think lemon was kind of like the first one that came on the. At what is it? Absolute Citron. I think we brought that up the other day when we chatted. Yeah, I like a flavored vodka from time to time. Doesn't usually make its way into my pantry. However, you might occasionally catch me ordering an orange vodka with a Sprite, perhaps. Got it. Got Just it. Just to shake things up. There you go. I would say... And again, this is like, it's, it's a bit, it's, it's not considered a masculine drink. Let's put it that way. So, but I like cranberry. So I'm going to go with like a Bay Breeze. So if I'm at the beach and I'm going to have a vodka drink, orange juice, cranberry, vodka, give me a Bay Breeze and, and I'll, I won't complain. All right, well, let's switch gears. Go to our second situation, which is business event night. So you're out with you're out with you know vendors, clients, colleagues, and you're at a business event and you're gonna order a vodka drink. What's the go-to? So I gotta tell you, Sean, I'm probably the worst person with the names of drinks. So I'm just gonna tell you what goes in them tonight, and then you can tell me if there's a name for it. However, business dinner is gonna be vodka, seltzer, splash of cranberry, don't forget the lime. I find that's a really good drink because first of all, sometimes you're somewhere that's super crowded and people are bumping into you. If you're at an event, you might not always just be sitting for dinner per se. I really don't want to wear anything that's colorful. So that's a, that's a strong case for the vodka. Why I like that. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I, I, I agree. Um, I, I would say, well, and I don't, I will admit, I do not have the name for that particular beverage um, but it right. probably has one i bet yep but i would say for me at a business event um i'll go sometimes with just a vodka tonic um just simple with a lime and and here's a little here's a little advice i i used to give to the consultant teams that i would lead especially if i knew we were all going to a big event and there was going to be like an open bar and and I just was trying to teach them to be responsible. I would encourage them to get a drink that they could alternate when they go back and get it without alcohol. So if you start with a vodka tonic, I could go back and get just a tonic with a lime. And now I'm being social. I've got my drink. 
nobody nobody's in the wiser nobody thinks you know anything of it it's just a way to be social and um but not be irresponsible so i i just sometimes it's just practical but i also just i'm i'm a big fan of tonic i like gin and tonics i like vodka tonics so that's that's the that's what i would choose as a at a business event cuz then i can keep my wits about me and and be responsible and still have a good time i think that makes a lot of sense and i'll also say you don't want to layer in a lot of sugar, especially on those nights, because they can tend to be long evenings. And if you put a bunch of sugar with your drink, you're going to regret that the next morning in more ways than one. There you go. This fits the uh, podcast that with expertly crafted conversation that entertains and informs, there's your wisdom for you. Avoid the sugar, avoid the hangover. Yes. All right. So, uh, so situation number three, casual movie night at home snuggling in going to grab a drink you're getting your vodka drink what are you going to pick i'm going to go back to what we started this episode with sean and tell you whatever's in the fridge (laughs) might be something in a can a pre-mixed thing could be that there's still some orange juice hanging out in there that i would mix with it i'm not going to drink it straight though i'll be honest with you not really a fan yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're not going to mix yourself up a martini and uh, saunter over to the couch to watch the movie. Nope, definitely not. <laughs> Got it. Casual means keep it simple, right? Okay. And for you? Oh, for me. Um, gosh, I'm pretty I'm pretty similar. It's. I'm going to go with with like the ingredients that are at hand and because you know most of our our listeners know that i'm i'm you know i veer towards tequila when i go with spirits so i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep some you know cointreau grand marnier grand gala kind of an orange liqueur around and i'm always going to have lime juice in the fridge so i'm probably going to end up taking some vodka and mixing it together with that and making myself some kind of a vodka um either a vodka tonic with lime or some kind of really simple basic martini where I've got just vodka and Cointreau and a little lime juice and shake it up and just be done. So yep. keep it simple. Okay. Last situation for vodka drinks. Situation number four, date night. Date night. Okay. I don't know if my husband's going to catch on and listen or not, but date night, he's always going to order me a vodka cranberry. Because when we first met, that's what I drank all the time. And it's easy for him to remember. And I still enjoy it to this day. So that's totally fine. But he knows he can never go wrong with vodka cranberry. There's just something about a sure thing, right? That's right. It's tried and true. <laughs> yep. And and I'm, you know, like I'll do date night. I on, on my date nights, I don't I don't normally drink a vodka drink. Um, again, our listeners will know I'm probably going down the the uh, margatini route, and I promise you guys are going to be able to see a video of me making a margatini very margatini very soon when the mixology videos finally get launched, which is coming up real soon. Um, but I will say um, again for my wife, the go-to date night vodka drink is a Cosmo, and nice. again you've got and she likes it more. Um, she like I'll say cranberry forward. Okay. So, so she wants to taste more of the cranberry juice than she does the vodka. 
So she's, you know, you guys ought to go, you guys ought to hang out more because she, <laughs> I think she's right in the same lane that you are with the cranberry and the vodka thing going on. So, and that's probably one, I think it's just a classic date night drink too. You know, the Cosmo, it looks swanky, you know, you feel special when you have one. So I, I think Cosmo makes a great one. Um, I will bring up one different vodka I'll call it a date night candidate, a date night drink candidate that I found doing a little bit of prep work before we got started. And I actually have all the ingredients in my, uh, I don't know, my liquor pantry. We'll call it that way. It is called a French martini. I'd, Tell I me about admit, it. I, I've never had one, but I'm going to make one. And it's vodka, pineapple juice and Chambord which Chambord is a French liqueur that is made from uh, raspberries and some blackberries. And so yes. you basically take like a couple of shots of pineapple juice, a shot of vodka and half a shot of Chambord, put it in your shaker with ice, mix it all up, strain it out into a martini glass. You can garnish it if you want to be swanky with a couple of raspberries or a little lemon peel or something like that. And it sounds really good because I'm a, I, I do like pineapple. And if I'm going to cut the vodka, throw a little pineapple juice, and I'm going to try this with Chambord. So this is a, and if, and if any of you have tried this, feel free to go to the drinks and data website. That's drinksanddata.com and put a comment in there and let us know if you've tried one, because we would love to hear from you. So. Yeah, I'm definitely going to add that to my to be tried list, Sean, for sure. Yeah, Chambord isn't berries. exactly the, the go-to drink that I think, or the liqueur that people think of, but you know. All right, so this is just way more information than our listeners probably need. But my mother-in-law gifted me a bottle that she's had around forever. So I have it in my cupboard. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you use this for? And I stumbled across this recipe. I'm like, I have that. So I will, uh, I'll pull that out and give it a try. Excellent. All right. Well, that's a wrap on our drink segments. Thank you, everyone. And we'll, uh, we'll head on over to data. All right, everybody, this week's data segment is brought to you by Analytics to Win. All right, Karen, pop quiz time. Okay. What, what percentage of companies do you think don't have a data strategy? What percentage of companies do I think do not have a data strategy? Let's, let's go with 60%, Sean. Well, you're close. Okay. But not high enough. Not high enough. Not high enough. Okay. Our research is showing that up to 70% of companies don't have a data strategy. So more so, than two out of three. Exactly. Exactly. It should be zero. You thought Absolutely. 60. It's probably cl it's closer to 70. It's even higher if you get into smaller companies. And I think we can all understand why that would be the case. Therefore, if your company needs a da data strategy, then you need analytics to win. Analytics to Win is a method that helps you craft your data strategy. It's got a series of assessments, tools, and templates that help you uncover and prioritize exactly how you should manage and analyze your data. Most companies finish this process in weeks, not months. Some do take months. I'm not going to name any of those companies. Karen might have worked for one of those companies, but that's okay. Um, sometimes things take longer than others. 
So you if your company needs it. a data strategy <laughs> or you need to refresh your data strategy, you need Analytics to Win, check it out today at analyticstowin.com. That's analyticstowin.com. Karen, have you ever, you, you know Analytics to Win. Any, any testimonial you want to give? Absolutely. The company that I worked for did implement the analytics to win methodology. And it was really amazing for us. Very eye-opening, great opportunity for us to get not only our data team, but our executives on the same page in terms of where we were at in our data journey and where we needed to go. And I think being able to share that in a very thoughtful process and intentional process was really beneficial to our team. Yeah, it was, it was, it's been great working with you on that. And I love that we were able to go back recently and revisit your assessment results and find out that you guys have improved, which is great. It's another awesome benefit of the analytics to win method is you can go back and redo the assessments and get tangible feedback as to whether your efforts have been successful or not. So um, yeah, that's been awesome. I completely agree. It's not a one and done. You shouldn't look at this as something that, oh, we did that and now it goes into the column as achieved. It's something that continually needs to be revisited and thought about and progressed upon. Awesome. Great. Okay, Karen. So for our data segment, we are going to talk about some handy tools for data teams. And you know, as, as I'm around talking with different companies and working with different data teams under all kinds of different circumstances, sometimes there's just good tools that crop up that may not be on the main radar screen. They may not get all the press that um, some of the big tools get, um, but they're just helpful tools for people to, you know, for data teams to use to just make their lives easier. So we thought we would pick out um, a handful of these data tools and just talk about them a little bit and give some real world experience about how they work, uh, the benefits that they've provided. I will admit none of these are sponsors of this program. This is all just completely organic stuff that we found to be helpful. If any of them want to sponsor a future episode, we're totally open to that, but they didn't sponsor this one. So um, let's just talk about a few of these, Karen, and let's kind of give some real world guidance and insight to the listeners. The first one on our list is a tool that you introduced to me um, when mm -hmm. we were working together. It's called Select Star. Why don't you just share a little bit about, maybe tell us a little bit of a story about how you stumbled onto this and how Absolutely. your team has used this. We were attending the Snowflake summit conference this past summer and moving about through a variety of sessions. And that is how we stumbled upon select star. We were looking for a data catalog and there are a lot of different products that do that. And we found a demo of select star and it's absolutely amazing. It was everything we needed and nothing we didn't. And I think that's just huge because there are a lot of tools that do a lot of things and you need to prioritize what's important to your organization and put your resources into it accordingly, whether that's your dollars, your time, et cetera. Select Star is a lineage tool. It's a data catalog. It looks at the metadata from our data sources. And in our case, that is Snowflake and Tableau. It does the 
backwards lineage and the forward lineage. So what dashboards are using the data sources all the way down to the column level. It will make you an ER diagram. It will show you frequent joins. It has some AI capabilities, so it can read that metadata and put descriptions on there. The searching functionality is out of the world. I could literally talk about just this product for an hour, Sean. I love it that much. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm and, obsessed and I, with it. Yeah, and I, and I think, um, I guess I'll put it this way. Their, their pricing seems fair. I won't, I'm not going to call it cheap, but I'll say it's fair um, for, for what, you know, for what it offers. And, um, you know, I've, I've gone through a proof of concept with it, with it, with one of my clients as well. And they, they really liked it. It, um, the one thing I don't like about it yet is I don't believe that they're reading click yet from a data visualization perspective. Uh, they do Power BI, they do Tableau, you know, they do a bunch of the other data visualization uh, products. But I love that forwards and backward lineage, right? You know, show me my data in Snowflake and show me which visualizations are using that data and then go the other way. Show me, you know, which report in Power BI and help me understand where my data is coming from, right? Right. So let's talk about a real world example where you need to deprecate a data source our, our data comes from Oracle. So say one of our tables changes, we immediately can know all of the downstream effects of that and tick off taking care of those, whether we have to fix the data source, find a new data source, it's right at our fingertips. And we did not have that capability before. It was extremely onerous to figure out where the data was going, where the data was coming from. It's great when we need to bring new people into our team. They can look at the documents, they can read through all of the information that we've stored in select star which yeah, has been I, really helpful yeah and i think um you know tools like you know i'll say databases like snowflake and others have been around long enough that i think we're, we're starting to get more and more mature you know i'll say data lake houses that are out there and and the good news is that people are putting lots and lots and lots of data into the data lake house, right? The bad news is, is like, it's so easy to do this that I think, I think tables and marts start to proliferate over time. And it's easy to lose track of why you even built this little mart or set up this group of tables over there. And what I liked about and do like about select star is it, it reads all that and puts it in a picture. I'm a visual guy. I like to, I like to, I like to map stuff out on the whiteboard as you well know, right? It's, to me, when it creates that picture of your data landscape, it makes it easier to understand and it makes it easier to communicate to you know, other team members or to leadership instead of talking in code speak. Yeah, I think part of what you're referring to there also, Sean, is their popularity. So it has mm -hmm. that little graphic that shows you how much your data sources or visualizations are used, which is, again, huge when you're looking to deprecate things or trying to figure out why this really amazing thing you made isn't getting traction. It, it helps open that up for, for you to look at. Yeah, awesome. Great, all right, well, first handy tool, Select Star. Let's move on to our second one. Uh, so th this other tool that I think some data teams and just businesses could find useful is, you know, we, we hear all about ChatGPT, uh, we hear about BARD, 
we hear about a bunch of this whole generative AI stuff. I mean, you can't you can't go you know, 90 minutes without hearing something about generative AI, I think, these days. So in doing some research into the AI space, I actually was was recommended to take a look at a product, well, a, a service called Perplexity. So it's called perplexity.ai. And there's there's a couple of reasons or a couple of things I really like about perplexity. Number one is it's a little bit off the beaten path, and I just like to be a rebel in general. <laughs> so uh, number two, it's really not very expensive. Uh, you know, you can you can get a paid version that is like twenty bucks a month. So we're not we're not breaking a bank here. It allows you to utilize multiple AI engines. So it'll actually use the OpenAI ChatGPT 4.0 engine. So it's it gives you access to the latest and greatest uh, large language model. But here's the kicker. Um, I don't want to say I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I want to know where the AI engine I'm using gets its information to give me my answer. And the thing I like about perplexity.ai is that it gives you the citations of the sites that it uses to generate the answer for you. So like I asked a question earlier today, okay, just for a little sample. I said, what was the last year that Audi offered a TT with a manual transmission, okay? It's a stupid question. Now, there's way more behind that question, and I'm not going to go into that right now. But is that a whole nother episode, Sean? That's a whole nother episode, <laughs> and it's not appropriate when there's snow on the ground in Wisconsin. But oh. I asked that question, and it gives me the answer. And it told me, you know, 2009 is the last year that a production version of the Audi TT came out with a manual transmission, blah, blah, blah. But then above it, it cites the exact sources that it uses to do that. And that's a really... That's a very simple, I'll call it a Fisher Price example. But if you're doing research or you're trying to gain insight into something and you're afraid of bias um, or, you know, a non-trustworthy source or even, you know, some of these large language models, we talk about model collapse where they start feeding themselves their own yes. information. Like, I want to know where it's getting its source. And so for those of you who are, I'll say, you know, I don't I won't I won't call you conspiracy theorists. I'll say responsible analysts that want to know where you're getting your 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 answers from through AI. Perplexity.ai has uh, that that citation feature to me is the best and um, and a real world practical application of this. And I may have talked about this way back in like episode 1 when Canon and I were talking about uh, generative AI. Um but I have used AI, I've used perplexity to help clients figure out like how to classify some of their product data. You know, you've got things like NAICS codes and UNSPSC codes, these standardized uh, codes that need to apply to a particular product. And a lot, of a lot of times companies will take their product data and have to send it out to a third party service and pay thousands of dollars to have them categorize the data so it'll show up better in web searches or things. You can take things like you can take data sets and run it through tools like Perplexity and use their API and run data in 
it'll run its algorithms against it, and it'll give, return a set of data that you can then use to get the proper categorization for your data. So simple stuff. I mean, it's a, a simple real-world use case for an AI platform that um, isn't going to break the bank and can probably save you a bunch of money and save you a bunch of headaches. That's great, John. I took note of that one. It wasn't something that I've seen before. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I like. I'm definitely a big fan. I'm sure you can tell by the citation feature that's inside it. So, so that's number two. Number three, our third handy tool for data teams. I'm just going to call this right back. Okay. And for those of you who don't know what right back is, well, I'll, I'll give you a little primer and then. Karen, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit of, you know, kind of how you've investigated and I've got a bunch of scenarios on it as, as well. But um, many companies, I'll say maybe even most companies now have probably implemented some kind of data visualization platform like Tableau, Power BI, Click. Those are the three, the three big boys in the, in the space. They, they own the majority of the market share. When you're in those tool sets, the traditional model had always been we bring data into the visualization platform and you can interact with it, but you could never like change anything, right? It was always like, no, I just get to see it and inter interact with it, but I don't get to change it. Well, over the years, a lot of analysts have come up with use cases where they're like, oh, I can see what my forecast is, but if only I could enter in what my target was for the forecast, right? Or could I update my forecast right here inside the data visualization platform? Well, fast forward, there are now tool sets available that you can kind of snap in or plug into these data visualization platforms that we call right back, where I can literally interact in the Click or Power BI or Tableau interface and enter data, enter comments, and it will write it to a database and then allow you to use that in your subsequent analysis within the visualization platform. So, um, Karen, I know you've done some things with Tableau. Um, have you, you know, kind of what, what have you seen and what might be a potential use case you guys have found for using Writeback? Yeah, Sean. Writeback is another one of those. I'm not really here to plug Snowflake, but honestly, that was another thing that we saw at the Snowflake Summit conference this summer. They were doing some really amazing work utilizing various write back tools. And it really got my team and me thinking about how we could put that into practical application. We utilized Tableau. So we were looking for something that integrated with that. And for example, I have one really practical use case and then really odd use case. So I'm going to share them both with you. Okay. The we're going to do the odd one first. Okay. We had a need to track t-shirt sizes for all of our employees. And this is not necessarily something I wanted to put into our ERP system, our system of record, you know. However, is that PII? <laughs> I don't think is, so, is your Sean. No. Is your t-shirt size considered no. personally identifiable information? No, and I don't think it falls under HIPAA either. So I think we're safe there. But okay. we we needed this t-shirt information. And the issue becomes where we decided at the time we didn't have a write-back product. So we had to put this into our ERP system. However, 
it required an additional license and additional permissions to be granted to particular screens. And we had to hide certain fields to be able to store this information. Whereas if we could have simply used the plugin, created an employee list and a blank column for t-shirt size, anybody could have collected that information. We could have given it to an intern. So there would have been a lot of frustrations, dollars, et cetera, saved, and we wouldn't be storing t-shirt sizes in our in our system of record, which is really, you know, not the most important thing to be putting there. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So um, that was the odd. What's What was, was the practical? The our practical use case is variance analysis of expenses, for example, like our general and administrative expenses. A lot of times you're going to be comparing budget to actual or this month to last month or this year to last year. And we want our analysts to be able to enter comments on those variances and then report on those to the appropriate levels. So, for example, maybe your analyst needs to report on every variance over, I'm going to just say $25,000. And maybe any variance over $100,000 needs to be escalated to your CFO, to your whomever the case may be. Utilizing a product that does this write-back functionality would allow us to give them the ability to enter in those variances, store them in wherever, Snowflake for us, sure, and then re-report on those tables to the relevant authorities, which is just the best use case I can come up with right now. Yeah, I, I, I had a, a client in Denver that was in the hospitality business. And so they've got, they owned a whole host, like dozens and dozens of hotels. And they had finance, financial analysts that inside of Click, they were able to use right back to go into each property and put in what they thought their 60, their 30, 60 and 90 day occupancy forecasts were gonna be. Okay. You know, cause they knew if a big conference was coming, they were gonna spike or some big event, right? And, and what they could do is they could enter in those occupancy values, those, those forecast values, and then it would actually project, you know, you hit refresh, and now it's doing analysis against your projections, and it would forecast, well, what do you think the, the gross margins are going to be for stays over that time period, right, based on your forecast? And then as they got closer, they could revise them, and it would keep track of who changed what, you know, how, you know, I see you, you know, you revised your 30, your 30 day forecast down 25%, you know, bubble, why did you do that? Right. All of that analysis is available and it, they didn't have to go build another system to do it. They didn't have to change a source system. They could do it right inside the data visualization platform and not just enter the data, but then have it be used in the subsequent analysis of that data, which is just really cool. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like guy, you know, pricing guidance, just ballpark. Are you talking, you know, hundreds, thousands or tens of thousands for what you looked at for Tableau? I'm going to say it was thousands, yep. but not tens of thousands. Exactly. And that, that's kind of what I'm seeing too. I've got clients that have implemented right back for, um, for click, for Power BI, and um, definitely, you know, you, you can do basic systems for under $10,000, um, substantially less than that in certain circumstances. 
Um, but if you get into larger you know, user bases, most of these products are going to charge you more the more users that you have. So um, yeah, you might get into the you know, 15, 20, $30,000 range if you've got a big deployment, but you know, most of them are also pretty agreeable to negotiating too. So um, I, think, I think it's a great set of functionality that most companies probably just don't know is out there. Um, they spend all this time and money putting in a Tableau, a Click, or a Power BI, and yet there's this whole realm of ways that you can take these these platforms and get more value out of them. So I, I think Rightback's a great one. Yeah, and I'll go back to what I said before. You know, you might be spending that upfront cost, but you could be saving licensing on other products. You know, if people don't need an additional license for our system of record because they had to go in and enter one field, I've now saved that licensing cost and reapplied it to this product instead. That's that's huge because some of these ERP systems, it's it's thousands of dollars per user anyway, right? It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Great, great feedback. I love that. I love that as a handy tool for data teams. All right. Well, let's briefly just touch on a fourth data tool um, before we wrap up the data segment. Um, this has just got a weird name. Okay. It's called the Fuzz. It's a Python library. It's a pandas library for Python for you know those of you who spin a propeller on your head. Um, and you know there's more and more people doing Python every day. Uh, I don't want to say it's crazy to me. It's not crazy, but it's it's actually pretty cool. but it's a Python library um, that is specifically set up to enable fuzzy matching. It used to be called Fuzzy Wuzzy. It's just, it's hard. You know, I, I've raised kids and I'm thinking Fuzzy Wuzzy <laughs> was a bear. How Fuzzy Wuzzy? Anyway, um, Fuzzy Wuzzy is what it used to be called. Now it's called the Fuzz. I guess they wanted to grow up. Um, I, you know, it's, it's free. You can just go download this library. And one of the great things about Python. And it's really there to basically have you take a data value, like a name, and take a, a target set of data, like a list of names, and it will do comparisons of your, of your of one value against your list of other values, and it'll run a fuzzy match against it to see how likely those two values are the same, okay? So again, you know, you take Sean and Sean, right? You've got Seen, S-E-A-N, and you've got Sean, S-H-A-W-N. It'll compare those against each other and it will tell you, it'll give you a confidence score essentially between zero and a hundred as to how likely Seen and Sean actually are the same. It's, um, so it's super easy to use. I mean, it, I shouldn't say that. It's pretty easy to use if you know Python. Okay? Now I have a client, for example, that uses Databricks. Databricks makes it super easy to run Python scripts inside of it. If you, you, know, you build a notebook in Databricks and you load a bunch of Python script into it, and you can schedule it, execute it, and it'll, it'll go look at a bunch of data, run some Python against it, and, and then store the outputs in a table. Um, and there's lots of tools like Databricks that will do that now where I can, I can basically run a Python script. Um, what I have found in real life with, with the fuzz, fuzzy wuzzy, is it just it's slow? So uh, if you've got you know hundreds of thousands of records, definitely millions. Like this is something you like set up to run over the weekend. Okay, <laughs> you don't 
you're you're not gonna you're not gonna get the answer you want like straight away. Um, so you have to kind of pick and choose your use cases when you do this. But I mean, Karen, I I would say like everybody's got crappy data somewhere, right? We sure do. Yeah, and any little like I'll say, I think we all kind of want like better a Leatherman or a Swiss Army knife that's got little tools that'll help us clean up our data. You know, I'll say the fuzz might be kind of like the fork on your Swiss Army knife. Like you should have one, you know, it's um, again, it's not it's not expensive. If you've got a platform or a place where you can run some Python scripts, try the fuzz, download it, load it. Um, I know got clients using Matillion where we run Python. We've got Databricks where we run Python. You got a lot of different tool sets where you can run Python scripts now. Um, give it a shot. And if you have some successes or some crazy scenarios with it, definitely, you know, go to that drinksanddata.com website and put some comments in and let us know your thoughts on it. We'd love to hear back from you guys. So, Sean, I, I feel like that's yeah. one where you just kind of file that one away if you don't have a use case today. And when the right time comes up, you come back to this and say, I remember they talked about that on drinks and data. I got to go check that back out and remember what fuzzy wuzzy the fuzz is all about. So exactly. I mean, I'm thinking fuzzy navel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm glad you brought it right back to the drinks. <laughs> oh man. I just, I, I was just out with a friend and we went, we, we had this big charity event and we stopped at, and gosh, I hope he's not listening to this. We stopped at a at the the local. It was like the hotel bar attached to the convention center, and we do this every year. We get together and we have a drink after the charity event. And I sat down. I'm like, um, I'll just call him Bubba. I say Bubba, what, what drink can I get you? He's like, you know, I'm feeling like a fuzzy navel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I just about fell out of my chair. It was fabulous, and I gave him way too hard of a time about it. Um, but we had great fun. But yeah, the fuzz is reminding me of that, which is, again, uh, another vodka drink. So there you go. So we'll we'll, we'll bookend this with, a, with a, a, a trip back to situational vodka drinks, the fuzzy navel. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our data segment today. So um, we are going to we're going to do what we always do. We end each week or each episode with our drinks and data proverb. So for today. Our drinks and data proverb is focus on quality over quantity. Whether it's your data or your drinks, quality beats out quantity just about every time. So uh, that's your that's your proverb for today. With that, Karen, thank you so much. I have definitely enjoyed my time today, Sean. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great. I'm so glad that you're willing to do this and able to make it work into the schedule. Um, for all of our listeners, please remember to rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Five-star ratings do a wonder for us to get us out and get us popped up on the list so that more people can hear about the Drinks and Data podcast. So please give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy. Definitely share this with your friends. Um, tell everyone if you, if, you, if you can about the Drinks and Data podcast. We'd love to get a few more of you guys listening to it. And remember, you can always learn more if you go to the to the Drinks and Data website. It's drinksanddata.com. So that's drinksanddata.com. We'd love to have you come visit us out there. You can reach out to us and contact us there. We've got a new website coming very, very soon. We're looking forward to that. We'll let you know. With that, on behalf of Canon, 
We'll be back next week. Karen and myself. Cheers, everyone. Bye.